I was speeding down Texas Avenue and College Station and had not been in any sort of an accident, but was pulled over uh, at a fast food place. And when the police officer asked me um, if I knew why I was being pulled over, I just told him, you know, I'm pretty drunk and I think you need to take me to jail. I mean, it was a, just a, I'm not getting out of this one, so here we are. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories, and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Thank you for tuning in this week to One Visit Away. For those of you who know me, you know that I think major gift fundraising is just about the greatest career possible. And one of the greatest things about it is you get to meet and then become friends with incredibly wonderful people. And one of those people, I mean, you can just go have lunch with somebody and immediately know this person is somebody I'm going to really connect with. They've already changed my life, and I can't wait to get to know them more. Our guest today, Jeff Scheffelbein, is one of those people. I've known Jeff for about five years now, and he is just one of the most incredible people I've met through my work in Major Gifts. And this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's not a typical episode of One Visit Away. Jeff is not a full-time fundraiser working for nonprofits, but he has an incredible story and is one of the most passionate, uh, most intense people who... (laughs) has changed my life, has changed probably seriously hundreds of thousands of people's lives in some way, possibly millions, and the impact that he's had uh, just going all over the country in so many different ways. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to give you Jeff's bio. You're going to be blown away by this episode, and I'm just so grateful to Jeff for his friendship, for all he's done for me, for all he's done for the dozens of organizations he's involved with and for being a guest on this show. And I know no matter where you are in life, this episode is going to be incredibly valuable to you. So I hope you enjoy this great episode with Jeff Shufflebine. And guys, as always, if you have not left a rating and review for app on Apple Podcasts for one visit away, now is your chance to do it. This this show is already helping people. I just heard someone that someone that was listening to an episode of this show, uh, the episode with Laura Crowley, the episode about the seven-figure tree, that episode helped someone close a million-dollar gift. The more ratings and reviews this show has, the more people will find it. So please go leave a rating and review and help get this show into more people's ears. You could read an intro about Jeff for probably five hours, but I'm just going to read from you straight from his website So Jeff is a co-founder and chief culture officer of Five. Jeff has worked in the deregulated energy business since 2004, and prior to Five, he served as the vice president of sales at First Choice Power. Jeff has a proven track record of leadership and innovation through his extensive experience in sales, company startup, technology development, personal coaching, and strategic management. He has also been recognized nationally for the creation and implementation of Carpool at Texas A&M University. 
Jeff continues to impact thousands each year through his motivational speaking and guest lecturing activities. He is the recipient of the National Daily Points of Light Award, the Texas Governor's Volunteer Service Award, and he has been featured on ABC's Volunteers Across America. Additionally, Jeff serves on a boatload of boards. This dude has been chairman of more boards and on more boards than most people have ever even heard of organizations in their lifetime. (laughs) Jeff uh, is never someone to back down from a challenge. And I know listening to his stories and just hearing him give advice is going to blow you away. So I hope you enjoy this incredible conversation with Jeff Scheffelbein. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Jeff. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, so this is this episode is going to be nothing like any other episode we've had so far, but I know it's going to be absolutely incredible. And the first thing I'll say, so I was, these are, were unrelated events that I realized were connected. I was thinking about what I was going to post on LinkedIn this morning, and I didn't do it because I ran out of time, but what I was thinking about was the importance of surrounding yourself with people who challenge you to be better in like every in various aspects of your life. And there's so many people I see in the nonprofit world that are just always like, well, we can't do that. Or that goal you said, that's too high, like can't be done. And I, I just hate that. And <laughs> Jeff Scheffelbein, our guest today, is one of the people who challenges me in every aspect of my life every time I get together with him. One of my favorite people of all time and I know is just going to blow all of your minds. So, I feel like you yeah. just took my intro of you and you just turned it around on me. Like you probably just copy and pasted something I said about you on the radio a year or two ago. Thank you. I'm I, so glad to be here. Jeff and I love each other. So yes, yes. So. It's mutual. So, so it's take mutual. any anything we say with a, a grain of salt. <laughs> but, but if you could give everybody a brief intro of who you are and what you do. Yeah, the who I am is the easier part of this. Uh, I'm a 42-year-old you know, father and husband living in Irving, Texas, getting ready to have my baby number five coming in just a few months or a few weeks. I'm sorry. And I love this call to vocation of being the absolute best I can be in the priorities of my life, God, my wife, then my kids, then everything else. And everything else includes work. It includes non-work. It includes the pro bono coaching and consulting. It includes radio work for the Catholic radio station. And I always feel like I don't represent a group or a concept when I walk into a room. I just represent somebody who's a very engaged, um, very concerned person who wants to contribute to this world. So I may be playing as I am today. I'm the president of my kids school board, the Highland school in Irving. I'm about to be on the Catholic foundation board starting in January. And I get to bounce around mostly when people need uh, either something to get started up or they need to have new life uh, breathed into an organization to be challenged, to think differently. Um, But call me a, Son of God who puts my wife above my kids and my kids above all of you. And the rest is kind of the details of if I can keep those priorities in line, then I I know what I'm supposed to do next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then yeah. what do I – so yeah. they, tell them about your, your tiny company. That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Nine years ago, we started a uh, 
energy consulting firm. My parents and most of my friends still don't even know what that means. But <laughs> our, our firm is uh, across the whole U.S. and Mexico. We help commercial, industrial, and government clients figure out everything that they need to do. We're, we're an advisor to them about decisions with electricity, natural gas, and energy in general. So don't think of oil and gas. Think of everything about power, if you will. Um, and we designed this firm taking the best of the best in our industry and in, in deregulated electricity and natural gas and saying, if you could complete uh, the focus to be on culture first, on helping people first, and then be rigorous in the way you approached the value you added to clients, the rest is going to take care of itself. Fast forward nine years later, we five years in a row on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing list, five years in a row as a top 10 best places to work in Texas, numerous other lists, but I love that confluence of culture and growth and innovation and leadership. We were noted for those. Those awards, though, are just like an outward symbol of what I think is an internal reality. It's just like the beacon to say there must be something else going on here. And that piece is even more phenomenal. It's that we are recruiting the very best and brightest in our industry and from outside of our industry that our employees are telling us over and over that their spouses and family members are saying that this place makes them a better husband, wife, friend, you know, daughter, and that our clients and our prospective clients are saying, nobody's ever shown this to me before. No one's ever made energy this meaningful or this impactful to me before. And even just recently throughout COVID, we won big names like the Empire State Building and all of their real estate trusts became our clients in New York Presbyterian. So when I tell you we figured out the secret sauce, it's it's put culture and dignity of people and helping at the forefront and then let really creative, smart people be fully formed adults and go kick butt for you and with you. It works. We're good at it. <laughs> yes. So this is so this is <laughs> man, there's so many things to say. One of them something I want to point out. Uh, if in case anyone missed it, Jeff just said that the Empire State Building is one of their clients. So for everyone who is like, "Oh man, like I don't know if I should call this person because maybe they don't want to hear from me," like Jeff, <laughs> Jeff and his company Five, they have secured the Empire State Building as one of their clients, and they were just like anybody else yes. 10, 12 years ago, just starting out with an idea and a tiny, tiny level of sales. Um, everybody starts somewhere and you've just got to start. You've got to start taking swings for the fences if you're ever going to hit those those home runs. Kevin, um, you know I've used some of your podcast work to share back with our sales team, right? That I've shared some of your wisdom because I think you do such a good job of making it concise and meaningful and manageable. So when I think about when the corner was turned for so many of our salespeople and for our company is when we realized that what we have to offer to clients is so incredibly valuable that if a client can't see that or they don't gain interest in it, then there must be something about our approach that we did a poor job of explaining it. So now I don't have to do what you just said, right? So many people get into this. I could never call the Empire State Building. I could never serve so-and-so. I could never call on such-and-such donor. If you realize that the organization you represent has tremendous value, that, that you believe in what the cause, the mission, and even the momentum of what you're doing is, at some point you just got to say, there's something I can tweak about my approach, my intro, the way I got connected, 
the first conversation we had? Did I make it too confusing? Did I offer too much information? Did I not make it clear our mission? But if what you have is valuable, then people will find it valuable. And you've just got to be confident that you're going to constantly refine the approach to clearly convey that message. But I take a lot of this from you, Kevin. I, I turn around and I say, I know the smartest guy in the whole world for fundraising and fundraising has a 100% overlap with what we do in sales. So I'm just here to learn from you today. <laughs> well, I think this is, this is the, th- this is exactly it. It's, this is, I don't want this to seem uh, prideful or something in the way that we approach our organizations, but until you believe that your organization is the best in the world to solve somebody's problem, then you're not going to have that confidence to make those calls. Cause it is exactly like what you're saying. If you, if you can't help the empire state building, then don't call them. But if you really believe we are the best solution, that's going to provide them the greatest value, then how can you not call them? Um, yeah. You know, um, you, I want to back up something too. We're just going to keep backing up until we go right. before the show started. <laughs> the uh, the other day I was working with our sales team and we were identifying what are really the soft skills or core traits of the successful people in our organization. And we always knew these, but they've just risen to the top so much as we put more words to them. And you nailed it. One of them is people that have a victim mentality, people who have a life happens to me, situations make it where if I only had this or I never got the chance to X, like that victim view of the world doesn't work for an organization like ours. Um, And I'm certain that if you're doing major gift fundraising, it's not a good place to be either. But an owner's mentality causes things to happen, is the cause of things, um, owns uh, the input and the outcome. Even if the outcome is a, a quote unquote failure outcome, an owner owns that failure. And that's part of a process of refining and not just being the victim of things didn't go well. So if you take uh, an owner's mentality and grit that you got to show up every day with the same, you know, putting your best version of yourself out there and your best version is different. You know, this, the month you have a baby, your best version looks a lot different than the month that you're getting ready to run a marathon because you're in incredible physical health. I mean, your best is just your best at that point, but grit is showing up every day with whatever your best is and combining that with your owner's mentality, you throw in a layer of, of, you know, understanding morality and ethics and doing the right thing with hopefully people working in all these worlds have, that's the secret sauce. The rest is just tactics, right? It's yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely, completely agree. And one of the things, one of the questions I had for you today, which uh, might seem completely unexpected, but it's related to, so you said grit. And that reminds me of like, again, getting back to this thing of challenging ourselves. And, you know, anytime we challenge ourselves in any area of our life, whether it's like physical fitness or time and prayer or something with our business, it has, you know, crossovers to other areas of our life where things improve. And so one of the things that you have a story about, Jeff, I'm wondering if you can share your experience with the Spartan death race. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I... I think that uh, this stems from this weird view of life that uh, that I think a lot of people have caught on to now, but it's this idea that you're limited by what you say you can do and can't do. <laughs> and uh, I've done a lot of really challenging things. The Spartan death race, however, is one 
that I kind of did on a bet and signed up for. This is before Spartan had all their races across America that, that are a little more accessible to your weekend warrior. The Spartan Death Race accepts around 300 people. This was back in 2010, I believe. And you have to go through a whole huge process to get in. But it ended up being touted as the world's most difficult obstacle race. And to tell you it was difficult would be an understatement. I only made it about 16 or 17 hours into something that ended up lasting over 70. And less than 10% of the people finish. Ours, ours, they write about it in the book Spartan Up because we had to lift uh, like a 50 or 60 pound rock every three seconds as we walked around in a circle for six hours to start off. And you had to lift it all the way up to your neck. To your neck. And they did the math. Then you would go into the middle of this pile and lift something heavier. And this went on for hours and hours. And it was super cold out. And the sun was setting. And it was something like we had lifted 65,000 pounds each over those six hours. And so wow. you had you had these endurance athletes that were just falling out because of cramps, but then they made us go get in a river. And I thought it was going to be for a couple minutes. We we're in this river for the next four hours. It was 50 something degrees. We had backpacks on. It was rushing current just to get out and have to go do more <laughs> cold work. By the time the sun came up, we were carrying logs, chopping them, memorizing Bible verses. It was, they're, they're designed to break you mentally, physically, or spiritually. And I, I did break in that one. I broke when, I saw somebody who'd already quit that I know drinking a cup of coffee watching me and he offered me a sip and I looked at him like I didn't understand his, his offer. And he said, you can have a sip of the coffee. And when it touched my lips and went inside my body, I just looked over and I said, I quit. I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what's wild is I regretted quitting. I was not probably physically prepared. So fast forward to after we had our third child packs, I had signed up for a, uh, uh, ultra outdoor run, an ultra trail race, and that's 55K. And Amanda said, you haven't even been training. What are you going to do? And I said, I told you before that if I if you say you can do it and you never back down from that, then you'll figure out a way. Your body's capable of more than you think it is. Um, we all are capable, period, not just physically, right? You, you already alluded to this. And I went out and there was 22 people that started and 18 that finished. And I was number 17 out of 18. I ran almost 34 miles. Um, not ran. I finished 34 miles, but there was cutoffs that you had to finish each, each lap of this 11 miles. And, uh, man, it destroyed my body. It was really hard to recover from. And I made a pact that I wouldn't complain. I went home and the next day we were taking pictures with Santa and I could barely move a muscle in my body. My (laughs) toenails are ripping off, but it was that reminder that things are never too hard. And that could be tragedy. That could be disappointment. That could be you know, financial failure. Um, it, it could just be disappointment because your view of a relationship or an opportunity didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. We are made to persevere and to keep going so long as we don't let our spirit die. And, and so these types of things, like this is why I love spending time with Jeff because it's it's this type of thing that like when you attempt the Spartan death race and like make it 16 or 17 hours, or you do this, this ultra trail run, knowing that you're capable of pushing beyond your, like long ago in either of those cases, your body was telling you, stop doing this. This is stupid. Yep. But you, you were able to push beyond that point. And this is so necessary for when like having those types of experiences and then transferring it over to 
the business world, whether it's, look, I don't want to make another call and have no one answer. I don't want to go on another visit and have somebody tell me this is a stupid idea and you're never going to like make it happen. Um, Those things happen rarely, but they do happen. And everyone's so afraid that we're going to experience suffering in some way. And it's like, get used to it because it's part of the progression into accomplishing great things. When you give a speech, Kevin, do you still feel the nerves before you get up there? I've seen you speak oh, yeah. a couple oh, yeah. thousand people at a time, right? But when you're up there, all of us watching you perceive you to be calm, cool, collected, that you have a flow, that this is just you being present to an audience. But the beautiful thing is, I bet you're never going to stop feeling those nerves. They they maybe are, are much smaller when you're talking to 12 people than 2,000, but they exist in that I'm about to present a topic and I want to give it its due justice and to be fully present and not just a machine delivering a message or reading from a script. And what's wild to me is I do enough public speaking that most people would perceive me to having zero nerves and to being completely in my comfort zone. And that couldn't be the further from the truth. It's not comfortable for me, but I've done it so many times that I know how to play in that discomfort. I know how to keep my breathing in the right pattern. I know how to deal with adversity because if you give enough talks, weird things happen (laughs) to technology or to somebody yelling out or to an emergency (laughs) or to you had an hour long talk and they gave you five minutes and you flew out of town (laughs) to be there. You know, like all those things happen. So if you go through enough of those, how is that any different than me sitting across from the next uh, benefactor or potential new donor and having that feeling in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, I'm about to ask this person for a gift, for a commitment. And if you are, are a willing to accept that you're never going to get over it, the fear will always exist, but you have to be there, do it anyways. And then be willing to accept that no matter what the outcome is, you're still going to be okay when the conversation's yes. done. Then you just play in it, go for yeah. it. Yeah, and and not only that, but even if you fail, there is like even if you try your best and you fail, they say I don't want to do it. I don't like you. At least when it's over, you can say I did my best. Mm-hmm. In, and same thing, Spartan, Spartan death race. Like you did your best, you gave it a shot, and th- and that's had tremendous impact on your on your life in a lot of ways. But if you just say, well, I'm not going to try it, I'm not going to do it, then you're just always going to be. You're, you're never going to get the success that you could, and you're always going to be regretting what, what could have been. I bet you've talked to enough different types of benefactors that you've had the flops, and I've heard some of the stories from your guests. You've had the flops where you're like, oh, that went the wrong way. But now you're starting to identify, okay, people with this personality type and this background, my my conversation can't start off here, or I can't jump too quickly here. So yeah. those losses are huge. I mean, I realized a long time ago, going back to public speaking, I generally can't stand talking to high school kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> somebody else was built for that. Uh, uh, but those people have a gift and, and they may not have the same ability that I do to talk to either young adults or to business communities. So we're also finding like, what is our, what's our sweet spot? What is the place that we can really start to understand our value. And then maybe over enough repetitions, I realize, okay, now I am ready to put my toe back into the speaking to high school kid land, but here's the modifications I'm going to make because I've been challenging myself so much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, so my next, uh, speaking of challenges. When do I things, get to ask the questions? Come on. You I'm... don't. You don't. <laughs> There's, I, I, I have too many questions. So we're, we're going to get to some stories at some point. Uh, but here is, I think this is important to the story of Jeff Shufflebein and, uh, and probably relates to some, some stories you might have later. But could you tell everybody about Carpool? Sure. When I was starting my, well, actually, when I started college at Texas A&M, uh, I looked around and realized that I was somebody who was going to live college to its fullest, which meant school, extracurricular, and even kind of the party scene. And those things got out of balance, and I became somebody that was not somebody I admired anymore. And I felt invincible, and I was drinking too much. And, you know, on more occasions than I can name, I would drink and drive. I was so blessed at the beginning of my sophomore year, I was speeding down Texas Avenue and College Station and had not been in any sort of an accident, but was pulled over uh, at a fast food place. And when the police officer asked me um, if I knew why I was being pulled over, I just told him, you know, I'm pretty drunk and I think you need to take me to jail. I mean, it was a, just a, I'm not getting out of this one. So here we are. And I got to tell you, there was a really neat moment because I was thankful. I knew I was kind of on a bad course and here I was getting to go to jail and I knew I was going to get the shame and the guilt and, you know, being the youngest of four and the only one to go to jail wasn't a prized possession of mine at the time. And so kind of reset my life that weekend about the fact that I had to have better habits. You know, I needed to get back into working out, learn to play guitar, start reading, do things that were just constructive to me. So it was like a death to self. Well, then I was really blessed. I pled guilty as soon as I could. And at the Mothers Against Drunk Driving Victim Impact panel that I went to the following year, which was November of 98, a woman was speaking about her daughter who had been killed by a drunk driver when her her car had a flat tire on the side of the road. And as the picture came to me, you know, I just had to be there as part of my my pleading guilty. My friend drove me there because I didn't even have a license anymore because of the DWI. I, I looked at the picture and it hit me hard and I passed it on. And I kept picturing this girl in this picture and she looked like a friend of mine from high school. And then as I thought about that, I try to figure out like, why am I not the person who killed this girl? Why am I not the person in jail? Why am I not the person who somehow ruined somebody else's life? And now I have to live with those consequences. The truth is I didn't come up with a single reason why it wasn't me. And I actually can tell you what seat I was in, what auditorium I was in, because the rest of the meeting became a blur as my brain raced into this world, realizing that I was already very involved at Texas A&M, that I had... Uh, a certain set of gifts, especially one of kind of Tom Sawyering people into doing things that they didn't know they wanted to do. And I walked out to get in my car that my friend was driving. And when I was asked how the meeting was, thinking that I was going to be sullen or, or you know, here I wasn't in an accident and I'm sitting through this meeting, I just said, I'm going to start the best designated driver program in the country and I'm going to need a lot of help. And from that moment on, I was literally able to turn on every dial of who I was innately, my entrepreneurship, my tenacity for the details that matter, my ability to enroll people that are experts in other areas, my ability to um, go talk to anybody on any level. So I was meeting with company executives in town and the administration of Texas A&M and the students and the student groups. And 11 months later, we launched a completely unique program, unlike any that I had studied throughout the U.S., a long acronym that is CARPOOL, Caring Aggies Are Protecting Over Our Lives, to offer free, safe, non-judgmental rides home to people in need, that whether they were drinking or not wasn't the issue. It was that they were in a moment of need Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, 
and a male and a female student, their peers, in a brand new rental car from Enterprise would pick them up, no judgment, and take them to where they were sleeping that night, not to another bar club or party. And it was so tremendously successful because it was based on a logic pattern of what would be a win-win-win for everybody involved. And I, uh, I can tell you that I knew from the moments of this initial program, from its genesis thoughts to the first night of it being in operation, that it would still be running 20 years later. It's now a 21-year-old program with just shy of 300,000 people that have used the program to get home safely. And because we wrote out the description of the model and which things matter, the pillars of this model, we've been able to franchise it. So it's at college campuses throughout the U.S., watchdogs in Georgia, stripes in Missouri, Ram rides in Colorado State. There's a whole lot of them, and they're completely based on the original model of carpool at A&M. And uh, it's been a phenomenal thing to sit back and watch it grow and thrive and a cultural win because it has survived in its mission, vision, values, and even the feel of of what it's like to be involved in carpool has survived, not just the founder graduating, but 100% turnover every four years of the hundreds of college students that you know, go through interview and application to be a part of it all over again. So, and I did all that before I was tw- 22. So <laughs> it, it was very strange to be a, a college graduate with too much experience for an entry level job, but no experience to speak of that I hadn't created myself. So I went through a, a little bit of an identity crisis. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I'll so tell you, I... what, you, you, you talk about like major funding and major gifting. <laughs> Brother, I, I read a quote once that said, go tell people true lies. And I was like, what does this mean? And I can't remember where this came from, but I would go into people on, and this was my version of a true lie. I'd say carpool is going to look like this. This is what it's going to do. This is how it's going to impact you. It didn't exist. I mean, it, yes. it was a piece of paper, you know, or a binder. Yes. But if I could paint the picture for them of what was coming, I convinced the university to put our number on the back of every single student ID, 40,000 student IDs before we ever had the phone plugged in. That's yes. a that's a big deal. The yes. football announcer would announce it at every game and still <laughs> does on the radio. And so it became part of the institution in just a few months, but it's because everybody was bought into this vision before it began. And the ones who didn't buy into the vision, and I got attacked in a pretty big way, it was like we had created a groundswell of belief so that other people could step in and help to fill in the gaps for me. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's so good. And I was just having this conversation less than an hour ago with uh a prospective client of mine and they're they're having a problem with you know, well, the the organization isn't where we want it to be, so we feel bad going out and asking people for money. And it's like, look, Mm-mm. listen to Jeff Daddy. Listen up <laughs> loud and clear. You you need to it's Yes, it is not where it needs to be, but that is why we are asking people for a gift so that that vision that we can see can become a reality. And un- until we start getting that that boldness, we're, we're just going to wake up 10 years later and be in the exact same spot. There's integrity in speaking your words into reality, like making a commitment and painting a picture and then executing to get there. And yeah. you don't have to be perfect, you know, in somehow predicting the future. But if people know that you're working towards the momentum and the concept of what you've laid out, they're fine with the nuanced differences between the final version or a little bit of a shift. But 
what people don't want to do is give money to dying organizations or people who are going to sit on it thinking about someday they might do something. Right. Exactly. There's, there's, there's an action verb in here and people want to be a part of it. Yes. Yeah, man. I love it. That is, <laughs> mm, I, I love, I love the carpool story. I love, and I just love the, at any time, like anybody listening right now, like if you suck at major gifts and you're terrified to pick up the phone and so you don't call anybody to schedule visits, aka you got pulled over and were drunk and had to go to jail, like just decide to change right now. Like yeah. y- you don't have to wait 15 years and then just die never like just just do it. Like it's in, in no. some ways it's just that simple. Kevin, I remember saying to myself, there are people I need to tell the story of Carpool to, but I'm not sure why, but I think down the road, they're going to be important. And so I started scheduling meetings with the head of multicultural services at Texas A&M and the county DA and each of the police forces in town. And I would sit down with them and they'd say, this is great, but why are you telling me? And I would tell them that this is important to the entire community and I just want them to know what's going on. Should they have any advice for me? And what was so fascinating is that as roadblocks came up later or opportunities where there was gaps that I didn't know about, I had this bigger team and it was because I was willing to pick up the phone and talk to just about anybody. And I would sit there at night. This was cell phones were not a big deal back in 99. And I would email companies and say, here's what I'm doing. Can you participate? And I remember Red Bull giving us like six (laughs) months worth of Red Bull to stay up late. You know, I asked Vans shoes, if they would design a shoe for my team for 150 <laughs> people, that didn't happen. There was a cell phone company called Primeco, and they just gave us phones and all the minutes. And then there was an apartment a company that gave us a two-bedroom, then eventually a four-bedroom apartment. Like, I just had to tell this story and not yeah. be afraid of the fact that, of course, I'm going to get rejected. People aren't just going to give me houses and cars and shoes. <laughs> but if I ask enough people, it's pretty surprising the kinds of stuff that people would say yes to and give us. Yeah. Yeah. I have an adage for you real quick. You know, the people's, if you can get into lifetime giving people's first donations, always their smallest, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's some truth to that. And I know you've seen it. Yep. We had these twin girls in carpool. They said, we're going down to this sausage company south of town. We're going to get a donation. And I was like, go get them. And they came (laughs) back with 10 pounds of sausage. And I looked at the guy that was now running carpool. And I said, why don't you play on a barbecue? We're going to cook up the sausage. So we were joking around, like kind of being snotty about like great job on the sausage. That company's called Slovacic Sausage. They opened a gas station in West. If you ever drive on 35 in Texas, yep. Slovacic Sausage actually puts a ton of the sausage that you buy at a Bucky's. If you're also cruising around the South, mm-hmm. they since have given hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of donations. The single largest donor is Slovacic <laughs> Sausage and the branding that goes with us and them. And I was the jerk thinking that it was all about these 10 pounds of sausage. That was just the right. beginning of a relationship. That was yes. the, the coffee meeting, if you will. And yeah. I learned a hard lesson to uh, get over my smart self and to trust that those girls knew something I didn't. Yes. Yeah, that, that, is, that is so cool. And I love those stories because it's exactly what you said. It's like one of the things that just drives me crazy is when – People that work at nonprofits get upset because somebody didn't give as much as they wanted them to. 
Like I, so I, I just made a post about it on this LinkedIn, but my, but my whole thing is, is just this idea of, well, first off, don't ever be upset by a gift that somebody gives because you, you don't, un, you don't know their heart in it. And you, you don't know that this person giving you the 10 pounds of sausage is, this is a, I want to see what happens and how they steward my gift. And do they care? And do they, do they celebrate it? And then tons of money can come after that. That that's that's one point that I'll I'll focus on it. But the other is just like it's also primarily if somebody didn't give enough, it's because you suck and just like <laughs> like no, and it, it's almost always because you didn't ask for what you wanted. You were just like, hey, can you help us out? And then they give a gift, and then you're upset that it wasn't enough. It's like they're not mind readers. So that's Wait, beyond I- the point. Kevin, I want to flip it on you. All right. I'm going to ask the questions now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to edit all these out. I'm just Yeah, kidding. sure. <laughs> you, uh, you and I first met when I gave a donation and I accidentally clicked recurring, but I met one time. So my recurring, my gift was one twelfth <laughs> of what you thought it was. It's basically the right. punchline there. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were very gracious. You weren't mad. <laughs> um, and then we created uh, an ongoing business and friendship relationship. Right. Um, but what's interesting is I thought about coming on this show and I thought about how well you've treated me throughout the years. And yet I've never been a major donor. If you take the top X percent, my name doesn't show up on it with the organization that you raise money for. How do you position, think about strategize around somebody like me when you know, I, I'm not going to be the one who moves the needle on the next gift or even in the next two years worth of gifts. But yet you have done a phenomenal job of nurturing both our friendship, but also our business benefactor relationship. Yeah. So that's a, uh, yeah, man, this could be quite a lengthy answer. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's so many different aspects of it. Um, one is, uh, like I seriously do just like you, you are one of my favorite people that I have met through, through this type of work. And I feel like I, I'm, bait, I'm baiting you to say this, but I was, that's not what I was looking no, no, no. for. So there's, but, but, no, I, I know that's not what you're fishing for. Cause there's no. actually like some real business things happening here. But one is like, obviously we're just friends. Yeah. But then in addition to that, there is what I mentioned before. Like it really is true. The value that you can provide to an organization. Like you've never been on our board, anything like that, but just the value you can provide to me. And just like every time I spend time with you, it, it changes the way that I see things and like what I think is possible and then changes my actions and then therefore results. So that's one thing. Then there's, there's connections. Uh, you have brought so many people <laughs> into our organization and like things like, like I'm, I'm almost certain I need to do the math, but it's definitely, it's definitely north of a hundred thousand dollars of giving that has come about from people that you have introduced to the organization. So that's huge. But then there's also, I mean, th- there's so many different layers. And then the last thing I would say is that, I always take the position of this is I'm in this for the long haul. You know, I've never been like, oh, I'm just trying to, you know, 
shake as much money out of somebody as possible in the next 12 months. It's like everybody I meet, I'm thinking like 10 and 30 years down the road. And, uh, yeah. Certainly, I mean, you said you're you're not going to move the needle in a huge way in a multi million dollar organization now, but you could at some point in the future give a really big gift, and that's obviously not the motivation behind why we stay in touch. But that's uh, that's reason number you know six <laughs> of many. I'm sure. So, do you have almost in your brain the? The I know my asks for specific current year near term needs, and I have my connectors. And my connectors, maybe the relationship is similar, but has a different approach. Yeah, so I've always got, I've always got you know goals of how much money I want to raise in a certain period of time, and then I just do a very simple like. Most of the people I work with now are people I know quite well. So I have some sort of amount that I think would be appropriate and then, you know, just kind of start getting to work on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, then there's, there's always people who aren't going to be, you know, writing enormous checks, but still give and can connect with a lot of people. And there's, 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 (laughs) let me put it this way. There is never a time I've met with you or someone like you that hasn't had a significant positive impact on me or the organization as they're connected, I would say. Yeah, that kind of goes back to where you started this whole conversation on surround yourself with people that challenge you, that sharpen you. I mean, I can remember us talking about the need for physical health and balance in order to be good at our jobs years ago. Yep. <laughs> and, and we still are both, you know, committed to some of those, those uh, exercises that we did for that first few weeks as a way to make sure that when we show up to work each day or when we show up to our families each day, it's the best version of us at that moment that we're giving yeah. our, our full attention and energy and we're not lethargic because we're neglecting mind, body, and soul. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, well, yeah, so so I mean to me one of the one of the things I always think about is like you and I are both people that could if we wanted to be on the road like literally every day. Sure. Um but we don't do that because we have higher priorities. Um and so like you're one of the few people that I feel like I've always been able to talk to about that stuff because our our priorities line up exactly the same whereas um some other people you talk to that are you know running successful businesses are like they don't have the same priority so the way that they organize their schedule is going to be completely different and uh yeah when when you're coaching somebody around this and through people that you know on the podcast does that become uh a point of contention that that if i'm being honest i'm more likely to give money to somebody who I see living out a virtuous life where the right balance exists and family is, is a very important thing versus the person who shows great face. And I got a question, what is their home life like? Because they seem to be addicted to the job and the notoriety of success. I'm not going to give as much money to that person. Right? No, I, I think that's completely true. And I think that you know, obviously you and I are both Catholic, not everybody that listens to this is, but I mean, I think you and I both believe that if we are uh, living as we are called to, then 
that will anything we need to achieve in our business will happen um if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing it's like like i I, and so so i see that in my clients it's like look if you have certain parameters around your schedule based off your vocation like stick to those and you're gonna find a way that it's gonna work out um in terms of like getting the revenue side of things taken care of but if you're just like if you're just like you know screw it i don't care about my family i'm just gonna go do whatever it takes i you're not gonna get there um even though it's it's counterintuitive when we're talking about like faith-based stuff like sure sure but i think that's across the board on like just admiring the person because i think generally speaking the biggest donors not all but many of them are more seasoned right they've been around the earth more times and they've had longer times in their business and a natural maturing process is to devalue all of the prioritization of I'm so great at my job. I'm so wealthy. I'm so important. I travel all over. I know all these people. Those things start to become not as impressive the older we kind of get and the more we mature. And then what becomes impressive is somebody who's willing to share a vulnerability about what they're working through or how important some part of their service world is. Or I think of somebody that you and I both admire, Bill Sladek, and that guy gets emotional talking about, yeah. you know, an individual life that he's helped either through tutoring or, or adoption programs or whatever he's done. And you look, he could be so easily admired for everything else, but I would, yeah. I would knock down walls for Bill Sladek because I see that his heart is in the right place. And if, he was the major gift fundraiser. I would just be sending people to him instead of you. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Character says a lot. I think in this world, um, it says a lot about our company. We we grow because of trust, not because we're great at energy. Being great at energy decisions and strategy isn't. It's a detail and it's an impact and it's an outcome. But that's not how we got there. We got there because people connected with the human. Uh, the, well, the humans here, but the dignity and our approach and our our concern for helping comes through. So yeah. I don't know. I think that's got to be a big part of your coaching that there's yeah. more to this than just being great at your job. Yep. Heck yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree because yeah, it, it is so personal, and you do wind up becoming so close with with your donors that like this stuff this stuff comes up. And yeah, if you're if you're <laughs> if it's clear that your donors are more important to you than your family then over time they're going to be like there's something strange about this person yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah i think that's a great point jeff we are getting closer towards the time you have to go <laughs> and i want to ask you in case uh in, so so you've you've met with a lot of development people over the years um are there any visits that you've been on from the other side of the table as someone who's being approached either for a gift or to be on a board or something like that that stand out in your mind either as like very positive experiences or very negative experiences you know I should have prepped and thought that you would ask me this exact question. I've obviously had very positive ones with you, but everybody on this show knows that, that I would use you. Um, I've had visits. 
it's funny to name the negative ones, but I want to because I think that there's there's real value. Yeah, in I, it. I want people to learn. It's not to yeah. It's so like and to, pro- to protect the innocent because these are good organizations. I remember a gentleman meeting with me and trying to make an ask, but in it, talking as if we had a long term friendship and relationship, and trying to be in trying to act like we were were very connected. And it was so off-putting because the kinds of things, you know, when somebody says, I feel this way, just like you do, right, Jeff? And they like fill in my thoughts or they tell me how I think about something instead of asking how I feel or getting to know me. Um, I can remember going into a, uh, a coffee with one gentleman thinking it was going to be a, a financial outcome that I would be writing a check or going online and being so turned off by the assumption of friendship and the um, false feeling of connection, this put on feeling of connection that I actually now auto filter the emails to delete. <laughs> from the organization. <laughs> um, and I think it comes down to what you just said too. If you're doing this right on both sides of the equation, you're never going to be in a giving situation that is purely business or academic, there's going to be relationship there. And so I want to be an authentic relationship and not in uh, either forced relationship or a feeling of, you know, disappointing somebody because you didn't give enough money. So that yeah. kind of jumps out at me. I, I remember also one time, <laughs> I got another one for you. Um, I remember a head of an organization saying, you know, I think it's time that you increased your gift. I'm thinking about something in the tens of thousand dollar range. And I started laughing. And uh, this person, this gentleman said, why are, why are you laughing? And I said, I don't have that to give to you. This is, this is like five years ago, by the way. And I said, I don't have that to give to you. And he said, well, you don't seem to worry about money very much. And I said, I don't. But you're misreading what that means. Like, it's yeah. not because I have so much. It's because it's not an important part of figuring out, like, if my day is good or not or if I'm worthy or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and so it, it actually went on just fine. And then that person tried to tell me I give to too many organizations, which I thought was pretty crappy advice. Uh, gosh. And my response back was at the point that I was at in my career, having started a company, I liked that I could say with honesty that, yes, I give money to heroic media and to birth choice and to the Highland school and start to fill in YCP, all these in my shoes. I could say, I give to all those so that it wasn't just that I was showing up and rolling up my sleeves. I was also writing checks and I could show a a family and financial commitment to those groups. Even if it wasn't my part, moving the needle also knowing that my place is probably a connector because in each of those groups I just named, I've connected a whole lot of people that, some of them are financial contributors and others can do handiwork that I'm not capable of. Yeah. Meanwhile, just so you know, I'm on the last day of my medication for the poison ivy. I got it in my shoes when I went out there <laughs> t- 12 days ago. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> that is awesome. Man, yeah, I yeah, I love those stories. I think those ultimately what it comes down to, and I think you would agree with this, but it's something we uh, talk about all the time on the side of asking for gifts is the goal is to serve our donors well in their relationship with the organization. 
And w- when that is the mindset, like that's what every time I go to meet with Jeff or somebody else, the idea is like, you know, saying a quick prayer, Lord, help me to make this about Jeff, not about me or the organization. And so if that means whoever you're meeting with, it, let me tell you this, it never means telling them your giving strategy is wrong. Uh, <laughs> it never means telling them you should give more to these people. It's like, man, it's just like, be there to, to help them accomplish what they, what they want to in, in their giving. And a lot of times that means, uh, that means connections and it means introductions and, and time spent and strategy and all that's incredibly valuable. Now with that simple question, what do you hope to achieve in your giving is not when I hear much when somebody's talking to me about giving, it's yeah. usually, uh, very one-sided. Here's the presentation. It's all about us. Here's a yep. board member. He's important. And can what do you think you can do? But there isn't yeah. that. <laughs> what is your aim? What is your strategy for this? Um, so it seems like a sales 101, but even even a lot of salespeople aren't good at sales 101. So right. <laughs> thank, thankfully, we have your podcast so that we can make major <laughs> gift fundraisers do a better job. Do you have any stories from you've spent a lot more time in sales? Do you have any stories from like sales meetings you've been in that are either just like highly entertaining or have some meaningful lesson? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my style in sales is to be extremely transparent and appropriately confident. And what I do that they tell you not to do in the textbook is I actually bring up all of the biggest objections in my first few minutes about how we get paid, how you're going to know what that money is, uh, where it flows, how you're going to know our value. I just start throwing it at people. Same way when I'm recruiting, by the way, recruiting and sales are the same thing. I tell people, here's all the things you're going to worry about when you talk to your spouse after this call. So let me tell them to you on the front end and I'll remind you at the end. And uh, that transparent approach has worked really, really well. Because it turns out, I think that we're often winning the relationship, either in recruiting or sales, before the person across from us knows they gave us every signal. And it happens when they lean forward and they say things like, so you're telling me that I can this or uh, that if I contribute here or, or to be a part of this team. And you just watch this body language shift. And it's almost like at that point, I just kind of back up because now they're running their own sales process to come to us or to come work yes. for us. I remember going to meet with this big city <laughs> and uh, we had their energy data in our hands. We'd gotten it the day before. Most cities take us anywhere from a few months to a few years to kind of win over and, and go through a very long yeah. process. And they yeah. sa- I said, uh, you know, how much time do we have for this meeting? And they said, well, we're making our decision tonight at the board meeting. So I guess two hours, probably need to wrap yeah. it up before then. But you're the eighth company we've talked to. And I said, well, who are the other eight? Or yeah. the other seven? And they rattled them off to me. And I said, well, before we go on, good list. I said, I know every one of those people, none of them are going to lie to you. Most of them don't know what we're going to talk about, but none of them are going to lie to you. Those are honest people. Let's go. And so then our team goes through and we get to this spot where I watch them do the lean in because we're showing them things about street lights and and hedging that they've never seen. And they're like jumping up. People are pointing at maps and I go, time out. (laughs) I said, the thing Josh is teaching you right now, Six of the people on your list have no idea what he's saying. And the seventh knows, but can't deliver it to you. Josh, go ahead. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. 
which which one knows? And I said, it's this company. And they said, yeah, yeah, we thought they were good. And I said, they are good. <laughs> and I said, if you don't go with us, you're going with them. It's the only yeah. two that make sense on your list, but they can't, they're not going to do what we're about to do. Josh, proceed. And that night we signed this huge multi six figure deal that has turned into many ter- many relations or many contracts over and over and is a long, long-term relationship. So, wow. That it's a little epic. bit of that, like, just own it. You said at the beginning, if you believe it, not just say it, you believe that your value is great and the best and is going to achieve the goal that you're setting out, then you just go make it true. But if you don't believe it, I don't either. And if you tell me you can't run an ultra, then I know you can't run an ultra. But if you told me you could, yeah. I guarantee you could. As Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. You're right. This has been a phenomenal episode, Jeff. We're definitely going to have to have you on again. But thank you so much for an incredible conversation and look forward to talking to you soon. Great work, Kevin. Much love to you. Thank you so much. That was Jeff Scheffelbein. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. Guys, if you're on LinkedIn, go connect with me there. Send me a little note saying you wanted to get in touch because you heard about me from the podcast. I post stuff there basically every day, real actionable things that are going to help you close more gifts and schedule more visits. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals hope you enjoyed this incredible conversation with Jeff. I hope you're inspired to go schedule more visits to change the way you're living your life. If there's something you want to be better about, something that you want to change, you don't need to get thrown in jail. Listen to Jeff's words. Make a decision today. So go out there and go schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from receiving 10 pounds of sausage that could turn into hundreds of thousands of giving to your organization over time.